Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, the sectarianism proxies and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today we have a very special Sepad Pod. I'm joined by Taif Al Khodari. Taif is a researcher at the LSE's Middle East Center. She works on Iraq. She works with one of our fellows, Toby Dodge, and she does uh, some really interesting work on another Iraqi project, Patriarchal Norms and Legal Discrimination Against Women and Girls in Iraq. Taif's written this fantastic piece for the LSC Middle East blog, and it's about the protest movement and the impact of the assassination of Qasem Soleimani. Uh, she spent some time out in Baghdad over the Christmas break, and I thought it'd be a wonderful chance to, to talk to her about the piece and her time out in Iraq. So Taif, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, Taif. Thank you so much. So... Tell us a bit about your your own interest in Iraq, if that's okay, and and what drew you to to working on Iraq with with Toby and the LSE's Middle East Center. I mean, the most obvious uh, answer is that I'm Iraqi, um, and it's where I'm from, and I'm invested in it in this way. Um, more specifically, I was very um, involved in sort of activism on the Middle East. Um, during university, basically, and somehow I ended up working for various NGOs where I um, I focused on human rights in the Middle East, um, and then I sort of narrowed it down, and now I'm uh, working solely on Iraq, but previously I worked also on the Gulf, and um, particularly on Saudi Arabia, which was also very interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. But then I guess um, life worked out in a, in a weird way and you were able to focus explicitly on the country of of, of your love, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell us a bit about the, the two programs that you're working on then, Taif, please. Before we get on to the piece, let's, let's have a bit of, of context in terms of what you're doing. Sure. So um, I'm working on a project on the uh, post-2003 political system in Iraq with uh, Toby Dodge. Um, for this, I'm doing a lot of um, research into how the system came into being, so particularly looking at the kind of rhetoric that um, the US and um, Iraqi politicians who are living in exile um, in two before 2003 um, the kind of rhetoric that they were using to justify the system and then the sort of effects of, of this system on Iraqi society. Um, and I'm also looking at sort of elections, um, how politicians are sort of chosen and, and the sort of intricacies of how this system works, particularly the kind of negotiations that go on um, after elections. And then for my other project, uh, we're focusing much more on women's and, and girls' rights. So we're basically interviewing um, legislators, um, sort of legal authorities, um, judges, religious authorities, and women's rights activists to try and understand the kind of obstacles um, that sort of get in the way of the implementation of laws that are favourable to um, women's and girls' rights in Iraq. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's Both of them sound, sound wonderful and really, really interesting and important work. And I guess they also offer quite some quite useful 
background and context to uh, to this piece that you wrote then. So this piece, No to America, No to Iran, Iraq's protest movement in the shadow of geopolitics. Taif, tell us about where this came from then, please. What's the What was the, the point of the piece, if, if that's um, not too broad of a question? Sure. Um, I mean, the piece was, I suppose, in the first place, a means of sort of analysing what um, the assassinations of Qasem Soleimani and um, Abdul Al Mohandes um, the kind of implications that this had on the protest movement. But I think more specifically, I'd just come back from uh, Baghdad during the week that I wrote it. And what I really felt was like a sense of urgency or the need to ensure that what protesters were were saying and what they wanted um, was heard within Western spaces. And I think that often people like me as an Arapa who, who grew up in the diaspora, what we can do is we can act as bridges to sort of elevate and um, raise the voices of protesters who've sacrificed so much in order to um, basically call for reforms, call for basic rights, call for an overhaul of the political system that's really dogged Iraq since 2003. Right. Okay. So, do you think that that on the whole, Western coverage of the protests in Iraq has been been missing the point? Has it been portraying things in a in an inappropriate way? I think that, um, firstly, particularly the media in the UK hasn't paid enough attention to the protests. Um, I think it's really important to emphasize that in just four months, over 600 people have been killed and 18,000 have been injured according to Amnesty. Um, And secondly, I think in the sort of newspapers and media outlets that have covered the protests, um, what they've been doing is they've been really framing them as anti-Iranian. But what we see if we look at the kind of documentation that protesters have produced is that from the very beginning, they were calling for Iraqi sovereignty. So, for example, in this piece, I referred to um, an article that was printed on the front cover of Tuk Tuk, which is the newspaper produced by protesters. Um, and this, this piece was entitled, No to America, No to Iran. And in it, for example, they wrote, the US and Iran take turns in creating the tragedies of Iraq and in engineering its ruin and the oppression of new generations through ensuring that Iraq continues to be a failed and weak state, incapable of defending itself without the help of these two countries. The Iraqi revolution sneers at their alignment and announces that it has officially opened the door to an Iraqi identity and national consciousness, which will not allow, which we will not allow after today to belong to either Iran or America. And I think also what this shows is very much the cohesion um, and the sort of sophistication of the political demands and understanding of protesters, which again, I think is often undermined by by some of the writing that's been done on the protests. For example, um, some have referred to the protests as nihilistic. Um, And I think that this is a really, sort of, it really misframes the protests because people are saying that some protesters won't go home until we have an overhaul of the political system. Um, And for me, this isn't nihilism. What it is, is it's revolutionary. It's beginning to think outside 
um, of the muhasasa and beginning to imagine what a different Iraq um, might look like. Yeah, I I would tend to agree with you that it's not so much nihilism. It it is revolutionary in in the sense of of desiring a, a transformation. But Taif, what what do you think Iraqi sovereignty in this demand looks like? Because it strikes me that it's not just about the sort of the freedom to operate independent of external powers such as the US and Iran, but it's also a, a transformation of, of politics and perhaps rooting it in a popular sovereignty in the people. I mean, I think that one of the sort of main demands of the protesters, for example, is to have um, an independent prime minister, which we're not seeing. So it's not just the sort of... um, It's not that they just want an Iraq that's free of Iranian or US influence. It's that they want an Iraq that actually serves the Iraqi people. And in order to do this, I think what they're calling for is... um, a system where all the political elites that, that have been in place and that have benefited since 2003 from this system to the detriment of Iraqis, um, it's, it's that they sort of are replaced by independent candidates, by an independent committee, by um, people who haven't partaken um, in politics, basically, over the last... Um, 16 or 17 years and I think it's only in this way that we can have an Iraq that actually serves Iraqi people right okay so let's let's go to Baghdad if that's okay and just reflect a little bit on your on your trip so you went there in December over the Christmas break what was the what was the climate like there when you when you arrived I mean, I think that over over December and maybe the beginning of January, before the, the assassinations took place, um, things were quite quiet, even in terms of the protest movement. So when we went to Tahrir, for example, there weren't, you know, there weren't masses of people. Um, it was very sort of jubilant and I think quite relaxed. Like you saw lots of different tents where there were all these young men, uh, like, styling their hair there was loads of hair dryers and gel um and there was sort of theaters and cinemas um and there was this sense of calm when i was there but obviously we've seen i mean since then that um the violence has um started again yeah what's what's the importance of the hair and the hairstyle do you think <laughs> um, I don't know. It's youth culture, isn't it? It's like a, it's the youth um, taking over these spaces that have been sort of neglected by the government. And I think like the significance of the Harrier Square can't be underestimated because it's in front of the the green zone, you know. Yeah. Or even Turkish restaurant, this uh, building that they've taken over. Um, it's the reclamation. It's them reclaiming the space and making it their own and sort of refashioning it um, in a way that kind of imagines what um, this new Iraq might look like. Sure. Okay. So, so there's a spatial dimension to it, as well as as this um, broader protest movement, and as well as the youth culture. And I guess I'm going to have to rely on you in terms of both youth culture and hair. But um, 
That's interesting that there is this spatial dimension. Do we see that anywhere else in Baghdad? Is this manifested in other types of spatial protests? Um, so, for example, there's a another space on the riverbank that protesters have also taken over, and they've turned. So they've basically cleaned all these spaces, including this tunnel in Tahrir. Um, and, and the riverbank, and they've turned it into a beach, and they've made sort of small um, gardens, um, and they've put out deck chairs and music, and some people even bought some sort of gym equipment um, that they were using on this beach. Um, so there's this this sort of sense of the reclamation of um, this side of the river, which again looks onto, um, looks out onto the green zone. Um, and beyond this, we see it in the kind of um, murals and the graffiti that protesters have been um, painting. And also that often a, a protester or, or an artist even, um, they'll find a spot and then they'll mark it as um, reserved and then they'll come back and paint it. And the other protesters and artists know not to take the spot. So right. they sort of leave it empty for this particular person who's written reserved on this sort of Amazing. concrete. I, I find this spatial transformation really, really interesting in the sense that it it strikes me that the protesters are doing similarly uh, to what Lebanese protesters are doing in that they're giving old spaces new meaning, demonstrating the possibility of, of transformation, if you will. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I agree with you. I think we're seeing very similar tactics. I mean, even in terms of um, sort of the roadblocks that the Lebanese protesters are using and the Iraqi protesters are also um, doing the same thing. Um, and also in terms of this kind of um, party atmosphere, which in Iraq comes and goes, but I think in Lebanon has been much more consistent from yeah. what I've seen. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very much the rep like reclaiming spaces that have been neglected um, by the governments and kind of making them their own. Amazing. Let's talk about art, if if we can. There's been a huge, um, as you say, huge sort of art boom, if you will. Can you talk us through some of the some of the styles, some of the pieces that have been painted on walls and, and what the common features are, please? Sure. I mean, I think... Um, it really differs. So there are pieces that are, um, I suppose, more mournful. Um, so, for example, there's a there was a piece I saw in, in the Turkish restaurant that had a um, it, it portrayed a protester with a gas um, a tear gas canister in his eye. So this is a tool that um, I'm sure you know the security forces have been using yeah. against protesters, basically to kill them. So there's this kind of thing. Um, there was also one that um, sort of depicted the tombstones of all the protesters that have been killed. Um, so there's this. There's also work that's more overtly critical, so critiques of the UN, critiques of um, oil and how oil features in Iraqi politics and really what has happened in Iraq since 2003. Um, there's some that I think have a more feminist um, angle, so there are loads of um, depictions of women protesters um, and how they're sort of involved in it, or have been involved in the movement since the beginning. Um, and then there are also really sort of hopeful pieces of graffiti that are looking to the future. So 
one that I really liked was in the entrance to this to this beach I was talking about. There was a piece um, that said, "We are the future," and it had a someone had painted an astronaut and had like an Iraqi flag, um, and it was a really beautiful entrance to this space that obviously protesters had reclaimed and that had this really um, jubilant atmosphere about it. Mm, that's really interesting, mm. and. The the image of the protester with the gas canister in in his eye is the one that's used on the as the header for the for the piece for the LSE um, that you wrote. Yeah, that's right. Okay, fantastic. It's such a powerful image. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, um, devastating and incredibly powerful. You were there when the assassination of Qasem Soleimani took place. Is that right? Yes, yeah. So how do you think that transformed the protest movements? Um, I mean, it's interesting to think about this, like, now. Um, because when I wrote the piece, it was so um, so soon after it had happened. And what I wrote in the piece is that one thing that I think we'll see is very much the sidelining of the protesters' demands and to some extent, I think we see this now because I think a lot of the rhetoric has, um, or a lot of the interest has shifted to what Muqtada Sadr is doing, for example, the fact that he's withdrawn his um, support for protesters and we're no longer really thinking about protesters' demands to, to, to an extent. Um, what I also said is that I think we'll see a reversal of, of um, what I thought was, for some time, the waning of Iranian influence. Um, and again, I think, to some extent, we see this with the nomination of the new Prime Minister, Mohammed um, Tawfiq al-Lawi, um, firstly because Iranian-backed parties and factions within the um, Council of Representatives had to nominate him in order for him to become Prime Minister. So that draws into question whether there'll be any accountability for the deaths and for the injuries that we've um, well, have taken place over the last four months. Sure. It means that we're not getting an independent candidate as protesters were wanted. Um, and also, it's a candidate that's already served in the Iraqi um in the government under Maliki, who, um, under whose rule, over eight years, $500 billion went missing. Um, so I think there's this. Um, I think what we've also seen, uh, and especially this is encapsulated by what Sadr is doing, is further fractures within the movement itself. So the fact that he's withdrawn his support and that some of his supporters have not only... Um, sort of withdrawn from the protest movement, which I think offered um, offered them kind of backup and a sort of protection. Um, but also that, again, this is why we've had violence over the last few weeks. That's why protesters' tents have been burnt down um, and why they began being um, attacked again. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. That's... <laughs> That's really quite a, a devastating set of events, I guess, in terms of both the the failure to to address protesters' demands and also the violence against protesters from the from the regime. And I was going to come on to that in a in a minute, but if I may, can I just ask what was the atmosphere across Baghdad like on the on the day or the days after the assassination of Soleimani? Um, I think that people were really scared. 
uh, we we went out on the day that um, the assassination took place, and the streets were pretty much empty. And if I recall correctly, I think it was a Friday. So the people I was with were saying that usually, like Baghdad on a Friday is packed. There are so many cars you can't move in the streets. The streets were completely empty, and I think. Um, there was a lot of fear. And you, you could also see an increase in the presence of um, sort of soldiers and military personnel in the streets as well. Right, okay. And I, I understand that certainly the palpable sense of fear as to, to what would happen next. And we did see a, a response from various Iraqi movements and I guess we saw the protests and the response of the the regime and the militias turning more violent after the assassination? Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, And I think, again, this is partly because there is this um, movement from in, on Sadr's part from sort of supporting the protesters to some extent to sort of um, anti-US rhetoric. Um, and also beyond this, I think we, we're seeing... Um, Iranian influence increasing again. I think that this will only lead to more violence against the protesters, particularly because of Hashd al-Shabi, who've carried out a lot of the violence against protesters, are aligned with Iran. Right, okay. So where does this leave the, the, pro- the protest movement at present then, being increasingly perhaps squeezed by these various competing factions? I think, firstly, um, as I said, there'll be further divisions. But I think at the same time, um, what we're seeing is also the emergence of a kind of leadership, particularly in Nasiriyah. And it's perhaps the emergence of this leadership, which will hopefully get stronger over the months to come, um, that's what will give us the kind of intermediaries we need in order to negotiate with the government, for example, and try to push for some of the reforms that um, protesters have been calling for. Um, I don't think that the protests are going to go away anytime soon. Um, We've seen them come back time and time again, despite the crackdown that I've mentioned um, numerous times. Um, And I think that the biggest issues that really remains, how do you um, circumvent the kind of political elites that have been in place since 2003? How do you build an independent movement or a political system outside of this um, framework and outside of the people that have such a strong hold on Iraqi politics and whose interests are so entrenched in, in the Mohassasa and the kind of political system that we have in place right now? My final question, Taif, is is where do you see this going? And you've sort of intimated in, in previous answers. And in your piece, you, you talk about the protesters not going away as a consequence of, and I'll quote, this unwavering desire for a homeland that truly serves the Iraqi people. And you, you talk about that as a something that will help the revolution prevail. But where do you see things going from here? Is that quest for a homeland serving the Iraqi people continuing to resonate and continuing to to shape the protests? Or do you think the establishment is slowly grinding down and and will will ultimately remain? 
I think it's a tough question, firstly, because things um, are constantly changing. I think that the establishment will continue to try to um, bring the protest to a halt. But I don't I think that the protesters are really in it for the long term. And I think we've seen this across um, the world. Actually, we've seen this in Algeria. We're seeing it in Hong Kong in terms of whether um, I think we will see an overhaul of the political system. I think it's really hard to say. Um, and I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm not sure. sure. I think the difficulty is that it's getting rid of all these people who've been in place in 2003 and who really hold all the power in Iraq. And it's finding a way around this um, that will be the true tests of the of this protest movement. Of course. Well, Ty, thank you so much for, for sharing those reflections with us. Um, I, I urge everyone to look at the piece on the the LSE's Middle East Centre. Uh, it's a really important, fantastic piece. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share these reflections with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>